0: as the young people are dismissed for Sunday school. We are continuing in our four-week series on grace. Today is the second week talking about grace. This... um this series on grace that we're, we're using for this four-week segment was written by a man named Ray Hollenbach. He is the former pastor of Vineyard Christian Fellowship in Campbellsville, Kentucky. I credit him for that because we are using a lot of his stuff in this series um, as we strive to better understand what the grace of God should be to all of us. The grace of God is something that we, we sometimes think we understand, but I think we misunderstand it. Probably almost as much as we understand it. Last week we we saw that God's grace means so much more than forgiveness. We like to think of grace as forgiveness, and yes, it's that. But it means so much more than just forgiveness. Grace can teach us a new way to live our lives. There is a, a great challenge facing followers of Jesus today. And that challenge is that we as believers often have a very limited view of god's grace we like to focus on one part of it and although the grace of god is greater than we can grasp and it's at the same time it's more accessible than the air we breathe in many churches grace has been captured and domesticated for their own personal use let me say that again in many churches grace has been captured and domesticated for their own use in other words it's been turned into something that it really was never meant to be. The grace of God is something that is, is so powerful that it can reach across every culture. It can reach across every gender, every generation. And sometimes it's simply been reduced to meaning nothing more than forgiveness for everyone. And it is that. But it is so much more than that. And sadly, a lot of people look at it as nothing more or nothing less than just forgiveness. That's it. We have turned it to our uses as opposed to God's uses. Many people people say, well, God loves me just the way I am. And we're comfortable with that statement, right? What we're not particularly comfortable with, though, is the statement, God loves me so much that he won't let me stay just the way I am. We don't like that one near as much. We like to go back to that, well, God loves me just the way I am because I'm comfortable there. But the truth is, God loves us so much that he won't let us, his grace will not allow us to just stay the way we are. Last week, we learned from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, that first grace grace saves, and after it saves, it teaches us. Most of, most of us are okay with receiving forgiveness, right? In fact, we love that part of grace. We love the part of grace that forgives our sins, but we are not nearly as excited when it comes time to learn how to deny ungodliness and worldly passion and live sensible and and upright lives. We are not very excited about that part because it, it requires change. And sometimes it requires something on our part. We like the free part of grace. We like the part where God does everything. In fact, we love that part. And we should. And we should be grateful for that because grace is not something that we can do on our own. We can't go out and get grace all on our own. So we do love that part because he does things we can't do. But grace is so much more than that. A lot of Christians hear this and, and, and honestly, they're just confused at this point. Because week after week, they are told of this complete work of Jesus on the cross. They are told that there is nothing they can do to earn God's approval or or salvation. And then they're encouraged to live holy lives, keep the commandments of God, and walk in a manner that pleases God. And they scratch their head and go, "Huh, I don't, ooh, those don't seem to go together. Richard Foster is a man who has spent... His entire adult life encouraging Christians to grow in the grace of God. And and I was reading some things that he wrote the other day. He points out that the message of grace is something more than merely a means of gaining forgiveness. He says that in most pulpits there is a disconnect between the good news of Jesus' sacrifice and our calling to become the light of the world. We love that sacrifice for our sins part. But we're not so excited about becoming the light of the world. So after hearing, what happens is after hearing the same message week after week, along with the same remedy, most Christians, or a lot of Christians, stay exactly in the same place. And here's what he said Having been saved by grace, these people have been paralyzed by it. Got quiet there. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. I was saved by grace, isn't that enough? And they're told over and over and over, grace is enough, grace is enough, and it is. Grace is enough for our salvation. But we cannot stop at forgiveness. And if we do, then we have become paralyzed by grace. Grace. If we remain camped at the notion that God's grace is just another way to describe forgiveness, we will never discover that there is grace for everyday living, there is grace for relationships, and there is grace for ministry to others. We will stop right there. Grace is so much more than forgiveness for when we've sinned. I made the statement last week, and I will probably make it a lot more times in the future. If we wait until we've sinned, to call upon the grace of God, then we've squandered the greater part of grace. Now, does that mean we don't ask for forgiveness? No. Does it mean that we don't seek the grace of God when we've sinned? No. It just means we don't get paralyzed by grace and stop right there. We keep going in grace. In the New Testament alone, there are a lot of connections between grace and truth, grace and power, Grace and spiritual gifts, grace and thanksgiving, grace and generosity, grace and provision, grace and suffering, grace and destiny, and that's just the beginning of the list. Because grace is not just forgiveness. There's grace in all of these other things. And they're all ours. If our view of grace is limited to forgiveness alone, then Jesus cannot be our model for how to receive grace, live in grace, and depend upon grace. Don't get paralyzed just because you were forgiven of your sins by grace. Continue to grow in grace. Who taught Peter, John, and Paul, and countless other believers to live the kind of grace-filled lives we see in Acts and other places in the Bible? How does grace apply to everyday life? in a matter that in a that we are conscious of the supply and know how to use it to those who have, us who have been in church for a lot long time basically grace means that christians got a really good deal we didn't have to do anything jesus did it all and in a way that's true In church circles, grace has been defined as not getting what we deserve or getting something that we didn't deserve. God's unmerited favor, the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. And all of those things are true. But they only tell part of the truth. And these partial truths can actually harm our spiritual formation. If we don't understand that grace is so much more than that, then it can be harmful for us to to accept grace as just forgiveness because then we stop and we become paralyzed by grace. And I would ask you this morning, are you paralyzed by grace? Have you stopped at forgiveness? People say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. There's nothing good inside of me. I'll always be a sinner and that's what I'll always do. And there's sadly people that have been singing that same song for 40 years. It seems that some folks agree with the sin diagnosis. And when they agreed with the diagnosis, they apparently thought it was a permanent, a permanent condition. I'm a sinner, and I'll just accept it. No, you don't have to accept it. You are a sinner forgiven by grace. You are a sinner who your sins are gone. You don't have them anymore. And you can stop sinning. That's the next part. A lot of people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'll always be. Stop it. Stop it. That's not where God wants you to be. That's not where God wants you to live he doesn't want you to live in that cycle of sin and grace and sin and grace. He wants you to live a victorious life. He wants you to live a life that's overcoming. The late Dallas, Dr. Dallas Willard warns us against the idea that low level of spiritual living among professing Christians is to be regarded as only natural and only what is to be expected. And a lot of people are perfectly happy with that low level of spiritual living because, after all, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You will never accomplish what God has called to you to do in your life if you always think of yourself as nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. Yes, you are that, but you are so much more than that. Far too many professing Christians hold to the notion That our destiny is one of constant failure. And that Christ's ministry and his purpose for grace is nothing but just unending forgiveness. I am just destined to be a sinner. I am destined to fail. I am destined to be nothing more than what I ever was. That's not the Bible. There are far too many believers who have experienced the new birth and are convinced that their place in the kingdom of God is to remain forever a baby. Let me say that again. There are far too many people in this world, too many Christians, who have experienced a new birth, and they're convinced that their place in the kingdom of God is to remain forever a baby. Dr. Willard said, We have over-talked what takes sin away, and under-talked about what the Spirit has put in. Yes, he takes away our sin. But he puts something in us to overcome and live an overcoming life. We need to be concerned with more than just a cure to sin. Yes, our life with God must start with a cure to sin. But the possibilities of a new life are endless. Watch this. hohenbach tells the story of a friend who ends every prayer with these words forgive us for the many ways we failed you in your name we pray amen he said it didn't matter if this man was asking for the blessing on the food or asking for wisdom in an important decision this was his closing default this was his closing default praise like a customized signature at the end of his prayer he said that every time he prayed And then Ray Hollenbach goes on to say that he felt that his friend was sincere when he prayed this prayer. But he wondered if Jesus ever got tired of hearing it. After all, what kind of friendship could ever survive if one person constantly affirms, I'm no good? If you're in a relationship and the other person in a relationship constantly is saying, I'm no good. And then he asks a question. Question. What kind of relationship requires a constant rehashing of inadequacy? And he answered the question with this, an Old Testament relationship. The kind of relationship that people had in the Old Testament with God. That's what that was. It was constantly saying, I'm inadequate. I'm worthless. The book of Hebrews discusses the practice of forgiveness before Jesus came. Let's look what Paul wrote in Hebrews 10, 1 through 3. The law, talking about the Old Testament, the law in the Old Testament, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? If those sins, if those sacrifices in the Old Testament, if they really forgave sins, then why didn't they just stop doing it? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But it didn't cleanse their sins. And so every year, they just felt guilty again. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. They never went away. Every year, it was, I'm a sinner again. Note the final phrase, verse 3. Paul said it was a reminder of their sins. We look back at that friend of Ray Hollenbach's. We see that that man reminded himself of his sin every time he prayed. And the unspoken message was this. And stay with me for a minute. His friend was powerless against sin before he came to Jesus, which is true. But evidently, he felt like he was still powerless. And we're not powerless over sin. We are to be overcomers. We are more than conquerors. That's what the Bible says. We cannot keep going back and saying, but I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. Stop being a sinner. You know how? Stop sinning. That's the way it works. What a concept. But I can't. Yes, you can. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. (laughs) Yeah. That kind of thinking that Dr. Willow was talking about with his friend, that kind of thinking, was he describes it as miserable sinner theology. That I'm never anything more than just a miserable sinner. And you are more than a miserable sinner. If you have been saved by grace, you are an overcomer. You are a child of God. And simply put, if we're told enough that we are miserable sinners who are unable to overcome our shortcomings in God's eyes, sooner or later, we will begin to see ourselves in that light, even though we've turned to Christ. And that's a sad situation. Someone who has come to Christ and still looks as himself at a miserable sinner. You don't have to be. For such people, following Jesus just doesn't include the likeness or the possibility of being formed into his likeness, and that is a huge error. That type of thinking is is not just a problem with our understanding of grace. It's also a problem with our understanding of Jesus. It's a problem with the understanding of what his message and his sacrifice, his kingdom, and his mission is for us. To see the work of Jesus as nothing more than just an endless offering of of forgiveness of sin. is to consign Jesus of an Old Testament priest. I'm just a sinner, and nothing can do anything to take away my sin. Jesus, what you did on the cross was nothing more than just act like an Old Testament priest just offered sacrifices every year. That's not true. When our sin is forgiven, when grace has been applied to our lives, our sins are gone. But it's not stopping there. Grace helps us to go on, and it helps us to become overcomers so that we don't have to go back. I will tell you that surely the priesthood of of Jesus is one that is capable of altering us at our very core. We need to be grateful that he paid the price for our sin. We need to be eternally grateful. But we should also be grateful for his resurrection empowerment, which is capable of changing us from the inside out. If Jesus would just have died and been buried, and he stayed there, then we could say, yeah, he died for my sins, and that was it, and I can take that grace and forgive my sins, but he didn't stay in the grave. On the third day, he rose from the dead, and he is powerful. He overcame death. He overcame hell, and we have power to overcome sin. What we need to do is usher Jesus out of the Old Testament tabernacle once and for all. And receive him as not only the source of forgiveness in our lives, but also the master of our lives and the teacher of our lives. That is the full work of grace. Let's not limit grace and put it in a box and only pull it out when we need forgiveness. Let's not hide grace away and concede, well, I'll just always be a sinner. When we do that, we are choosing to allow ourselves to be paralyzed By the very idea of grace. Make no mistake. Sin is like a cancer. It will kill us in this life and in the next. Sin is serious business. And God has provided a serious remedy. It's called a new birth. Paul calls it a new creation. Peter called us and referred to us as newborn babies. And we must determine whether these phrases are merely religious metaphors or whether they depict a spiritual reality. Are are those things that they just said because it sounded cool? Or is it a reality? Because the image of spiritual birth also contains a hope of growth. Let me say that again. I heard one amen. The image of spiritual birth also contains a hope of spiritual growth. Are we content to be forever trapped in the cancer of sin? No. Grace not only wipes away sin, grace teaches us how to avoid sin. Grace is a cure, not a treatment. Grace is a cure to sin, not just a treatment for sin, so that we can go back and, do, and we got to go back next week and we go back next week. There are people that live their life from Sunday to Sunday just praying that they don't die or the Lord doesn't come back sometime before next Sunday. I'll just go out and I come to church and I ask forgiveness and God forgives me because His grace is, is unlimited. And I come down and I fall at the altar and then I go back out and I go right back and do the exact same things I've always done. And I know, well, there's just next Sunday That's not the way he wants us to live. He wants us to live an overcoming life because grace is a cure. It's not just a treatment. It's not a temporary band-aid that he puts on our lives. It cures our lives. Our challenge is to see how Jesus, and for many of us, we need to see that he is our only source of treatment. And he is more than a treatment. He is a cure for whatever sin we have in our life. When we limit the work of Jesus to nothing more than forgiveness, we lose sight of the possibilities of experiencing a new life in him here and now. And that would be a shame. Because the cure not only works in this life, It works for the next one as well. Grace is more than a one-time event. It is an ongoing process. It's a process to perfect us. Titus 2.12 says the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's what grace does. It teaches us to go beyond just saying, God, forgive me of my sins and show grace to me. Get out of that cycle. Let me share a a modern parable with you. Stay with me for a few more minutes. Once there were two high school students who each received scholarships to Harvard University, full rides, every possible expense paid. They were bright kids and felt kind of intimidated by the reputation of such a great college. And both of them thought when they got there, I don't deserve to be here. One student studied day and night. She gave it all she had. The other student began to enjoy the thrill of college life and parties in the big city nearby and the freedom of being on his own for the first time. By midterm, the first student was working hard earning C's and B's. The other student was failing every class and was put on academic probation. By Christmas, the first student had earned a 3.0 GPA. The second student had flunked out. And I would ask you the question, which of these students laid hold to the opportunity that was given to them? Of course, the answer is the first one. Humble, hardworking. And the second student became the object of gossip. People would say, how could he throw away such a great opportunity? He had such a tremendous opportunity. How could he throw that away? See where I'm going here? Imagine for a moment that the grace of God is like a full ride to Harvard, beyond expectation, every expense paid, a life-changing opportunity. And anyone watching this this story or listening to this story of these two students would concede that the student who flunked out had thrown away a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The scholarship from Harvard was a gift of grace. But the truth is this, Once they received the scholarship, the work was just beginning. They couldn't say, I got this this scholarship by grace. I'm going to go to Harvard, and I'm just going to sit here and just bask in this scholarship. God's grace is very similar to this parable. He does for us what we could not possibly do for ourselves. What is beyond our reach is joyfully paid, Paid in full by Jesus Christ. But his work is just beginning at that point. Why would we squander away the possibilities of that new birth in Christ? Like the student that received the full ride to Harvard, we need to receive the grace of God for what it is, calling us to a new life right now. There are some people that object to the close association between the words grace and work. And if you're one of those people, I'm not going to apologize. Here's why. You say, well, God's grace comes with no strings attached, right? Yes, it does. Absolutely. And we should be clear of this. No amount of effort on our part could win his pardon. And while that is true enough, that's not the end of the story. The whole story goes beyond the fact that God picked up a tab that we could not pay. We could not do anything about our sin. God paid for that through Jesus Christ. Our new birth into the Christian life is an invitation into the kingdom of God. But while we are on this Earth, we cannot just sit back and say, "Well, I've got the grace of God, so I'm just going to sit back and coast into heaven." No I got mine. You go get yours. This is dem- exactly. This is demonstrated for us in the life of the Apostle Paul. In the earliest days. after his conversion to Christ. He knew immediately that God had called him to a purpose. Paul was filled with gratitude for God's grace and forgiveness. And as a result of that gratitude and the result of that grace, he was eager to get on with God's work. He began to call himself God's fellow worker. Notice the word worker. God's fellow worker. In his calling, As an apostle, he considered the church in Corinth to be God's field. And he considered himself privileged to be able to participate in the workplace. You see, Paul was aware he had no moral standing on which to preach or pastor a church. Why? Because he'd killed Christians for years. The very people he was trying to reach now, he probably had some of their family members killed. He was also aware that his qualifications were not the issue. In 1 Corinthians 15:10, he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Look at that strange combination of words that he puts together here: Grace and worked harder. And what was true for Paul is true for us today. When we are born into God's family, we are also born into the family business. God's grace does not just wipe away our sin, God's grace asks us to join in the work of the kingdom. Let me quote the late Dr. Dallas Willard again Grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You can't earn it, but God won't turn down any effort you want to put into it. And this wonderful distinction reminds us of what our our response should be to God's saving work. That should be our response to grace. Apostle Paul understood this side of grace as well. Remember, it was Paul in, whose, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he described his task as a servant of God, as one who endured troubles and hardship and distresses, beatings, imprisonment, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. And he goes on and on about all the things that he had endured. But he had endured all of those things in order to share what he himself had been given. Grace. seems that Paul had no trouble seeing the connection between grace and effort. The words of theologian and author, author Richard Foster helps us understanding, understand the ongoing work of grace. Look what he said. Grace saves us from a life without God. Even more, it empowers us for a life with God. Yes, it saves us, but it gives us power to live for Him so that we don't go back into the place where we came from. I don't want to see anyone come to this altar or wherever you find salvation. I don't want you to find salvation only so you can turn around and go back to the life you were living. That's not what grace is for. It's so much more than that. Don't discount grace. That's cheap grace. Grace costs something. God gave his one and only son that he would die in our place. It wasn't cheap grace. The grace we receive at our new birth is only the, the, the beginning. It's the introduction. As students and followers of Jesus, we need to grow in grace. Grace opens up startling possibilities that we don't have to, to have this yo yo life between sin and forgiveness, sin and forgiveness, and sin and forgiveness. You don't have to do that. The devil will tell you you do because he's a liar. He is the father of lies and I think I said last week that's his native tongue. He will tell you it's fine. Go ahead and go back out into sin because you can always come back and ask for grace. That's never what God intended. Grace shows us the destiny that we have with Christ. I'll close with a couple thoughts. What is the deeper side of grace? The deeper side of grace is the discovery that our new birth should be followed by growth. And we should grow into the image of Christ. What a concept, right? Once we're born, we need to grow. In the natural, anything less would be considered unnatural or awkward. But in the spiritual realm, it seems to be quite accepted. To be born again and never grow in grace. That's fine. The deeper side of grace is that when we join the family business, we also begin, begin to take on a family likeness. Here's another way to think of it. Co-laboring with Christ is the very activity that will help to grow this fruit of the Spirit in our lives. As we joyfully work side by side with Jesus, we we begin to conform to his image. We start looking more and more like him. It's like people say, you always look like your dog because you spend so much time with them. And people look like their dog. Well, guess what? The more we spend with Jesus, the more we start looking like him. (coughs) That's right. (laughs) Dudley looks just like me. (laughs) That's right. Romans 8, 29 tells us that this is our destiny. Grace is not only given to us so that we can live with him forever. He also wants us to be conformed, to be changed into his likeness. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 points to a very important revelation. Jesus invites anyone who would come to him to come under his instruction and learn his way of life. Look at, John, at Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. This image of a yoke was, was common enough in Jesus' day, and people said, yeah, I understand that, but it's not so common in our day. Basically, a yoke is a large collar. Listen to this. A yoke is a large collar which places the strength of an ox or a horse at the disposal of someone else. How about that? The yoke takes the strength of the animal and places it at the disposal of someone else. Grace calls us to God's work. We place our strength at His disposal. And it's not a heavy yoke. It says it's a light yoke. But we're saying, God, I will take that yoke and just use me. Use me. I will tell you this, God will not conquer us. He will not beat us down. We must bow before him as a matter of choice. You don't have to accept grace. It wouldn't be grace if you had to. The path to becoming like Jesus starts with his invitation. Come to me. After God speaks to our heart, we can choose to accept the invitation by only one method, and that is to humble ourselves. Grace is more than knowing. It's also being. If God wants to give us the grace to be more like Jesus, and then if it takes a little effort on our part, then we need to be willing to jump up and say, count me in. I want that grace. I want your grace. I need that grace because I can't do it on my own. And I want that grace. And it means, if it means I have to, to put a little effort into it, count me in. It's how we take the yoke. It's how we position ourselves to learn from him. God help us to never become paralyzed by grace, but instead help us to realize that what grace truly is. And then once we've done that, allow it to motivate us to be more like Jesus, to be willing to do whatever He calls us to do. That's grace. That's grace. It's so much more than forgiveness. And if you are here today and you have never experienced the grace of God, you say, well, I didn't come prepared. Yeah, you did. If you came here a sinner, you came prepared. (laughs) Because that's all you have to do. We're all born sinners, every one of us. We've all done things that displease God. But God's grace is more than enough to cover whatever sin. And it doesn't stop there. You say, well, I'm afraid that if I, if I accept the grace of God that, that I'll just go right back and do those things again. Grace is so much more than just forgiveness. Grace gives us power to live an overcoming life. There are people here today in this place who have had problems with addictions, whether it was drugs or alcohol or whatever it might have been. There are people in this place today who have struggled with those things, but when they came to Christ, He took those things away. You mean they never struggled again? I didn't say that. They might have struggled, but they overcame. 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 Why? Because of grace. Grace is so much more than just forgiveness. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. And I'm going to ask you to stand. If you were here today and and you say, I don't don't even know what to do. What I'm doing is not working very well. I seem to have used this term quite a bit recently, but I'll say it again. Then what have you got to lose? If what you're doing is not working well, what have you got to lose? God's grace is for you. And if you will come this morning, we will pray with you. You can accept Christ as your Savior. You can ask Him to forgive your sins, and He will do that today his grace is enough for whatever you've done in your life if you're here this morning even if you don't understand it you don't have to understand it i don't understand how electricity works but i'll still go back there and turn a light on and expect the light to come on if you don't understand grace that's okay it's still for you as we sing a chorus this morning would you come And maybe you you have already started a life living with God, and and you say, "I I just need more. Would you come? Wherever you are in this place today, would you come? And if you're watching online this morning, right where you are, right where you are, you can accept Christ right where you are. And all it takes, we're going to sing a chorus here in a minute, but all it takes, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. I know that you sent your son to die in my place. And I say today that it is enough to cover any sins that I've committed. And Lord, today, you are the son of God. Lord, and I confess that you are the son of God, and I accept you as my Savior. As we sing this morning, would you come?